Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. And visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our worship pastor, Brenton Collier. My name is Brenton. I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary. And man, I'm so excited to be able to be teaching tonight for Tuesday Night Church. Uh, Normally I'm leading the music portion of the service, but tonight I get to share from God's word. Uh, Hey, if you're tuning in live right now, welcome. I'm glad we get to spend the next couple of minutes together, uh, or maybe you're watching later on YouTube or online. Uh, So glad you could tune in, or maybe you're watching the podcast. You can't see my face at all. That's probably for the best. You're not missing much. (laughs) I'm still glad that you are tuning in. You know, God's word is living and active. Uh, God's spirit is moving all the time. So wherever or whenever you're listening to or watching this, uh, I believe that God is going to to speak to you uh, through his word and what he has said. You know, everybody loves a a new year, right? A a fresh start, a clean slate. Uh, January 1 comes around and we feel like we can be anything we wanna be. We can do anything we wanna do. New Year's resolutions are written, workout clothes are purchased, we put some new books on our nightstand that we promise we're gonna read, and we think this is the year. I'll shape myself into the person I've always wanted to be, right? And and one popular method is to choose a word for your year. Maybe you've done this before. Maybe you did this for this year. Uh, This is something that my wife likes to do, you know, a word that will guide or define your year or that you hope will guide or define your year. And, you know, I've always had a a hard time with this. I've never really been able to pull it off. I've thought about it. I've prayed about it, but nothing really comes to mind. One of my habits is to daily read through the Psalms along with whatever other book of the Bible I'm reading. I'll just loop through the 150 Psalms over and over. I've read each of them many times. And one morning at the beginning of this year, uh, early in January, I was doing just that, but I was really tired. Uh, In November, my baby girl was born and I felt like I hadn't slept or caught my breath since the day she arrived. In December, it was a a big month uh, at work, getting a lot of things done. And so I was just sitting there on that morning, reading through the Psalms. And on that day, I came to Psalm 112. And the Lord just spoke so clearly to my heart. I felt him say, hey, I don't have a word for you. I have a chapter for you. And this is it. And so I read that chapter over and over again, right there that morning. And I committed to reading it every day for the rest of the month. And I committed to praying one of those 10 verses each day. Psalm 112 has really been just a a guiding light for my year. Uh, It's the picture of the man that I want to become. 
Psalm 112 shows us five marks of a righteous man. It shows us that the posture of the righteous is praise. The home of the righteous is blessed. The sight of the righteous is clear. The hand of the righteous is generous and the heart of the righteous is bold. So as we begin, let's read these 10 verses from Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. Verse seven, he is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. Oh, Father God, we, we thank you for your word that you have chosen to not be silent, but open your mouth and speak to us and reveal yourself to us. And today we want to listen. So for every person's heart and mind, would we just be fixed and focused on you as we hear and receive your word today. Amen. Like I mentioned earlier, the first thing we see from this psalm is, number one, that the posture of the righteous is praise. Let's read verse one again. It says, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Psalm 112 has a direct connection with the psalm that comes just before it, Psalm 111. The two are a pair, they go hand in hand. They're both acrostic psalms, which means that each line begins with the successive letter in the Hebrew alphabet. That doesn't work out that way in English, in case you were looking and like, no, that doesn't make sense. In Hebrew though, that's how it works. So Psalm 111 and 112, they're the same length. They have the same number of lines. In fact, many of the same lines are mirrored between the two psalms. Simply put, you do not get Psalm 112 without Psalm 111. Psalm 111 reveals who the Lord is and what the Lord has done. It declares that the Lord is glorious, majestic, righteous, gracious, merciful, just, good, and trustworthy. That's who he is. Psalm 111 recounts how God provides for us. He remembers us. He gives us an inheritance. His commandments are true. 
and he redeems his people. That's, that's what he does. Without the God of Psalm 111, there is no righteous man or righteous woman of Psalm 112. Any righteousness we possess, any goodness we display, any legacy we leave is given to us generously by the grace of a glorious God. See, we're not capable of these things on our own. They're only a reflection of God, of the God who is in us as we bear his image. So just as Psalm 111 begins with, praise the Lord. So Psalm 112 begins, praise the Lord. Our road to righteousness begins with praise, reverence, and obedience. This word praise means to boast, to shine, to celebrate. When we read Psalm 111 and we see who God is and what he's done, it should invoke just this, this wellspring of praise within us that overflows and pours out on everyone around us. Again, in verse one, the next line says, blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Did you know that every single person fears the Lord, whether they use those words exactly or not? Edward Welch describes it this way in his book, When People Are Big and God Is Small. No one is excluded from this fear, Christians or non-Christians. For Christians, whose eyes have been opened to God's great love, this fear is fading. For non-Christians, such fear is ever-present. You know, there are many in the world who don't believe in God, certainly not the God of the Bible. Even still, there is a terror, a dread. What happens after I die? Does my life mean anything? Is it good for anything at all? What is the price that I'll have to pay for the evil I've committed in my life? These are the fears we sense when we hide from God. As we accept that Jesus has paid the penalty for us and that God has forgiven us, we move from hiding from God to drawing near to God. Our feelings of terror and dread become feelings of more of, of, of trembling and, and astonishment. And then finally, that fear transforms into awe and reverence. In fact, the word fear in verse one is often translated or could be translated revere or to have reverence. And it's crucial that we begin our, our quest toward righteousness, these five marks of a righteous person uh, with fear, with an awe of God, of who he is, a reverence for his power. Without it, the purpose of Psalm 112 could sink into mere self-improvement rather than the glory of a holy God. One commentator put it this way, the psalm cannot be viewed as the extolling of man, for it commences with praise the Lord, and it is intended to give to God all the honor of his grace. I love that. This fear of the Lord means a, a reverent submission and obedience. And that's why verse one concludes, who greatly delights in his commandments. This reverence leads to obedience, but a joyful obedience. 
It isn't a dreadful slog to obey God's commands when we are in awe of him and trust him completely. The fear of the Lord may deter us from evil, but our love for the Lord leads us to obedience. And so we see, number one, the posture of the righteous is praise, reverence, and obedience. Number two, the home of the righteous is blessed. Let's read again verse two. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. I mentioned earlier that my daughter was born about nine months ago on November 7th, 2019. So it's no surprise that two short months later when I was reading this chapter, like I, I talked about earlier, that this verse struck me with just a new kind of weight. My daughter's name is Oakley. And my wife and I chose that name after reading Isaiah 61 verse 3, which speaking of the children of Israel says, they shall be called oaks of righteousness planted by the Lord for his glory. So during these months leading up to her birth, after we had chosen that name, this was our prayer for Oakley, that she would be as strong as an oak tree characterized by righteousness, that she would be planted and established by God and that her life would bring him glory. Now, I know that Oakley's life is, is sovereignly guided by the hand of God, but I wanna do everything I can to help her on that path. And one major way is by being an oak of righteousness myself setting that example and, and training her in the way of Jesus. The lives of so many children are destroyed because their parents do not choose to praise and revere and obey the Lord. And, and by his grace, many of these lives are, are eventually restored to wholeness, but it's not without long years of pain and sorrow along the way. And on the other hand, so many children have been given this really precious gift of parents who walk in uprightness. The generation of the upright will be blessed, verse 2 says. I want to be that kind of an upright man. I want that blessing for the next generation of my family. Verse 3 goes on to say, Wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. Now, some faith traditions read a, a verse like this and, and emphasize financial wealth, saying, you know, it's God's desire for every single believer to have financial material wealth. Other faith traditions run in the opposite direction and say, a verse like this isn't actually talking about financial wealth or riches at all, rather spiritual riches. The truth is, and we'll see why in a few verses from now, this verse is speaking of both financial and spiritual wealth. So let's take a look at both. Let's see what this means financially. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. Understood literally, this is rather a promise of the old covenant than of the new. For many of the best people of God are very poor. Yet, 
as has been found to be true, that uprightness is the road to success. And all other things being equal, the honest man is the rising man. Proverbs 28, 19 describes this principle well. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. <laughs> you know, there are almost limitless ways to bring financial destruction into your life if you act uh, in disobedience to the commands of God, following what that proverb calls worthless pursuits. Our image-crazed consumer society loves to spend, spend, spend on themselves, their looks, their leisure, their pleasure. And then they have nothing left to give to those in need, nothing left to give to their descendants, and often even nothing left for their own basic needs. But this is not true of the righteous. Let's look at a couple of other Proverbs. Proverbs eleven twenty four, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Proverbs 15, 6, In the house of the righteous there is much treasure, but trouble befalls the income of the wicked. And finally, Proverbs 13, 22. Listen to this one. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children. Back in Psalm 111, verse 6, kind of a parallel to this verse, it says that he, speaking of God, has shown his people the power of his works and giving them the inheritance of the nations. You see, our God is a God who gives an inheritance. He's our father and he stored up an inheritance for his children. And when we walk in obedience to the commands of God, he may choose to bless us with financial wealth. And when we share that wealth as an inheritance with our children, we are reflecting the very nature of God himself. Isn't that cool? This is one of the ways that the home of the righteous is blessed. On the other hand, like I mentioned a minute ago, this verse also speaks of the truest and deepest riches of God's kingdom. Riches that do not corrupt, riches that do not fade, riches that cannot be stolen or squandered, riches that cannot be seen but shine brighter than a, than a glorious diamond, riches that cannot be measured but weigh more than a solid steel anchor and are strong enough to, to hold the righteous fast in a fierce storm. Riches that cannot be spent, but they do have an extreme cost. They cost the very life of the Son of God. These are the riches we enjoy as the righteous, God-fearing children of God. Ephesians 2 says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ so that in the coming ages he might show, listen, 
the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. So whether financially or spiritually or both, the home of the righteous is blessed. Number three, the sight of the righteous is clear. Let's read verse four. It says, light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. When I was in high school, I drove all kinds of just old beater cars and for a while after high school. And one day uh, I went to visit my uncle who lived just outside of Detroit, about two hours from where I lived in a little town in Ohio. And I had this old, uh, I think it was like a Mercury Cougar. And uh, I, I drove up there, we hung out for the day. It got dark at the end of the day. I begin my trip back and my headlights shut off. I'm driving in the dark with no headlights at all. It was terrifying. I was on like a major highway, you know, and I found that if I turn them off for a few minutes, for some reason, I don't know why, and then turn them off again, uh, turn them on again a little bit later that they would work for a little bit. So I drive with some headlights for a little bit and then they'd shut off and then I turn them off again. And man, it was terrible. I, I tried to take as many back roads as I could think of, but even then there were no street lights. It was pitch black. I don't know how I made it home. By the grace of God, I made it back. <laughs> but life can just be that way all the time. You're trying to get somewhere and it's like, I can't even see two feet in front of me. Whatever light I feel like I may have just keeps shutting down. There's darkness all around us. It, it, it could be the darkness of confusion. You're standing on a path that divides in multiple directions and you can't see far enough forward to know which path to take. It might be the darkness of sorrow or grief or even death. I know a few of you in our church uh, have recently lost loved ones and that darkness, that sorrow can be just overwhelming. It may be the darkness of sin, just the sin of others in the world around us. It doesn't take long looking through the news for a couple of minutes just to see the real darkness and depravity in the world around us. It could be the sin of others toward you. Maybe you were the unwilling recipient of someone else's sinful act, or it may even be your own sin, you know, as you personally act in a and behave in a way that you just don't want to. Well, there is good news. The same God who spoke the world into existence and said, let there be light can speak brilliant, burning light into your life. The same God who appeared as a pillar of fire to guide the nations of Israel through the desert can show up and guide you through the darkest moments of your life. We serve a God who speaks. We have God's word, 
God's word is a, is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our path. We have the Holy Spirit. Here are a few things the Holy Spirit does. He, he transforms the darkness of loneliness into unity. 1 Corinthians 12, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greek, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. The Holy Spirit connects us to the words of Jesus. Jesus told his disciples, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have told you. The Holy Spirit gives voice even to our innermost confusion, Romans 8. In the same way, the Spirit also joins to help in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And we have Jesus himself. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus has provided a clear and straight path for us to follow. Jesus also said in John 1, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, listen carefully, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So I'll say it again, light dawns in the darkness for the upright. Isn't that true? Do you desire this? Do you need this? I know I do. So, so Christian, would you daily cry out to God and ask for his light in your life? Would you daily come to his word and let it guide your path? Would you daily listen carefully to the Holy Spirit who is eager to bring clarity in the fog of life? I hope you will. Number four, the hand of the righteous is generous. Now in verse three, we saw that wealth and riches are in the house of the righteous. And now in verse five and also in verse nine, we see how we can honor God and reflect his nature with that blessing. First, let's look at verse five. It says, it is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. Again, in verse three, it referred to these wealth and riches that often come to those who fear the Lord. But the Psalm it, it, it's realistic about the temptations that come along with uh, the possession of money. There's the temptation to abuse power or the temptation to just refuse to lend or, or the temptation to act in fear or rivalry. <clears throat> Last December, uh, I read A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. I hadn't read it before. I was like, this Christmas, this is the year. So I sat down and read it. And there's the character Ebenezer Scrooge, right? This guy is all wealth, no generosity. Listen to this description. Oh, but he was a fist, 
a tight-fisted hand to the grindstone. Scrooge, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Hard and sharp as flint from which no steel had ever struck out generous fire. He was the kind of man that acquired wealth and riches, but succumbed to the temptations that come along with it. At first, anyway. I won't tell you what happens. I won't spoil it in case you don't know the story. <laughs> Verse 5 goes on to say that this person conducts his affairs with justice. They didn't acquire their wealth through unjust means. They don't squander it on wicked things. And they don't withhold it uncharitably from those who are in need. They conduct their affairs with justice. Along the lines of driving old beat-up cars, a few years after the headlight incident, I went to buy another car, a new car. By new, I mean a really old car that just ran and had working headlights. <laughs> so I saved up a little bit. I'm going to these different used car lots, trying to, trying to find a, a good deal. And, and I find this car, and I'm trying to really do everything I can to do it right. I even, I even asked if I could test drive it and take it to my mechanic friend who put it on the lift at, at, at the garage where he worked and you know, took it up and looked it all over and made sure it was looking good, it was gonna run good and everything. And, and we get back, we're signing the paperwork, I'm purchasing this car, and they're like, hey, for another few hundred dollars, um, we can take care of some other things for you, some of the license and registration stuff. We could process that here and just send it to you. And I thought, okay, great. You know, if, if you want to do that, it's about the same price either way. Well, a couple weeks later, I hadn't heard from them. Nothing had come in the mail yet. So I start calling, hey, where is this? Are you going to take care of it? I can't get through to anyone. This goes on for a couple of weeks until finally... I just drive out, it was a little ways away to this used car dealership to, to talk to someone. I pull up, the place had cleared out, boards on the windows, every car gone, they had just left, the whole deal, along with the rest of my money. <laughs> and I got my first taste of someone dealing unjustly in their affairs. And that happens a lot, sometimes in little ways like that, sometimes in really big and serious ways, but that is not the case with the righteous. Let's jump ahead to verse 9, which kind of goes along with verse 5 in this theme and further describes how the, the hand of the righteous is generous. Verse 9, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. Again, quoting Spurgeon, Providence has made him able to lend, and grace makes him willing to lend. He's not a borrower, neither is he a hoarder, for his new nature saves him from that temptation. But he wisely uses the talents committed to him. He has distributed freely. The righteous person is not only generous, but they're wise in their generosity. This phrase distributed freely, it implies a wise and thoughtful distribution. Think of a farmer planting seeds. These seeds aren't thrown about at random, uh, but placed with prudence and discretion. 
the farmer would consider, you know, what kind of soil he's working with. He'd think about what season of year is it, all in an effort to produce the most plentiful harvest possible. So it is with someone who distributes freely, uses wisdom in their generosity. The Apostle Paul quotes this verse as he encourages the Corinthian church in their generosity. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work, as it is written. And here's this verse from Psalm 112. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. A few months after I graduated high school, I took some time and I traveled around the country and around the world with this evangelistic mission team. And it was pretty fun. We, we went up the coast of uh, the West Coast through California, Oregon, Washington, into Canada. We'd just be riding in this old bus, you know, together, 20 or 30 of us, however many it was stop at a, a church or a theater that night, set up a bunch of sound and light gear and, and do a concert and share the gospel. We made our way over to the East Coast, went through Ohio and New York, flew to England, actually stood in line to get in the plane behind Eric Clapton and said hi to him. That was like worth the whole trip right there. And uh, we went to Spain and Switzerland and as the trip was winding down, uh, the director of this group invited me to participate in another trip immediately after that was going to India. And uh, this was a smaller, kind of more intense group uh, that was going into some distant villages in India to do the same thing, to host these evangelistic concerts. And I really wanted to go. And, and I had raised support for this, this trip the first one, kind of like a missions trip. And I needed to do the same thing for the second trip, but on really short notice. So I, I trusted God. I said, man, I feel like, Lord, you're leading me to do this. I began to raise some support. It was slow going. And a night or two before we were scheduled to fly to India, the director said, hey, Brenton, you're $500 short you know, unless you raise it, you can't go. Like we can't just pay for it for you. And, you know, I'm praying over this. And then I get a call from a friend whose parents have a dentist and they're talking to him and somehow they get talking about me and this dentist sends a check for the remaining $500. I couldn't believe it. I have no idea why this guy would have wanted to do that, except that being filled with the Holy Spirit, he was wisely distributing freely with generosity some of the wealth that God had given to him, like a, like a farmer sowing seeds. Perhaps he knew that that trip to India would 
be transformational for me and my spiritual journey and my faith and that I would be able to do some really wonderful, special things uh, with and for the people of India. Although money is used in a lot of evil ways, it's not an evil thing. In fact, it can bring God much glory. Theologian Wayne Grudem describes it well. Money provides many opportunities to glorify God through investing and expanding our stewardship and thus imitating God's sovereignty and wisdom, through meeting our own needs and thus imitating God's independence, through giving to others and thus imitating God's mercy and love, or through giving to the church and to evangelism and thus bringing others into the kingdom. Uh, you know, actually just today, uh, a couple of hours ago, earlier today, I was signing checks from our church. I'm one of the people that signs checks for various bills and things. And a number of them were to missionaries, uh, missionaries that our church supports monthly through, through your giving. In fact, if you haven't in a little while, I'd encourage you to go online, calvary.com, and, and check out and read up on the missionaries that, that we're supporting. You know, I can tell you that, that Pastor Jeff and Ann, they spend a lot of time really thoughtfully praying over who to support, who would be the most high impact uh, people because they want to distribute freely in, in a wise kind of way. And man, signing those checks, I was just like, this is so great. I'm so thankful for our church and for the generosity of this church. Uh, you know, so let me ask you, how is the Lord leading you to be generous? You know, you may have much or you, you may have very little, uh, but either way, I believe that God is inviting you to, as this verse says, distribute freely with generosity to those in need. And finally, number five, the heart of the righteous is bold. Let's read verse seven and eight. He is not afraid of bad news, his heart is firm, trusting the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph over his adversaries. You know, this whole psalm is really meaningful to me. Uh, that's probably obvious by now. But more than any other verses or phrases, I've clung to verse 7. This phrase he is not afraid of bad news. This is the kind of man I, I want to be. I am not this way naturally. You know, like most of us, 2020 has been a tough year for me and, and my family. It got off to a kind of a rocky start in January. My wife, Dania, uh, started to get sick and she got worse and worse until one night uh, I was home alone with our newborn baby, uh, feeding her with a bottle for the first time while my wife was alone at the emergency room taking all kinds of tests and trying to find out what was wrong and if she was going to be okay. And I just, again, after having read this chapter and praying through it each day, I found myself praying over and over, I will not be afraid of bad news. My heart is firm 
trusting in the Lord. And, you know, she underwent all kinds of tests and had a bunch of appointments over the next few days. And uh, actually, no one was able to figure out exactly what was wrong. But praise God, she, she did recover and she was doing well, but, but it was hard. And then just two short months later, in March, Dania was in the hospital again, being tested for COVID-19. She was really in bad shape. She has asthma, it was really scary. So I'm home with our baby, she's at the hospital, and we had to wait about a week to get the test results back. And man, I know some of you have taken that test or had loved ones and had to wait, and your mind's just kind of reeling. Is it gonna be good news or is it gonna be bad news? You know, we were thinking, what do we do? if she has to be quarantined, you know, in our house or, you know, she was nursing our baby, how, how is she gonna nurse our baby? Or, you know, she has asthma, so is this just gonna take a, you know, a turn really bad, really quickly, you know? And I found myself praying again over and over, I will not be afraid of bad news. My, my heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. And finally, the, the results came back. They were negative, praise God, no quarantine necessary, but man, it was tough. And I'm so thankful that that verse was there for me to pray and to meditate on. You know, life, life is full of bad news. This isn't anything new or a surprise to anyone. In fact, Jesus even promised in this world, you will have trouble. So what do we do? Well, first we need a Psalm 111 view of who God is right? His might, his power, his authority, his grace, his mercy, his goodness. Our fears loom so big when our vision of God is small. And that's why this journey starts with Psalm 112 verse 1, which says, praise the Lord. When our life is, is characterized by a posture of praise, reverence, and obedience, we're well on our way to trusting the Lord with a heart that is firm and steady. Many of you know Pastor Chuck Smith, that name's familiar to you. He's the founder of Cal the Calvary Chapel family of churches. I love his perspective on these verses. Let me read it for you. He says, I know that the Lord is watching out over me. I know the Lord loves me. I may not understand what's happening in the circumstances surrounding my life, but I know that God loves me and I know that God's going to see me through. I know that God has allowed it for a purpose. I know that it would not have happened unless God had allowed it to happen. And because he has allowed it to happen, he has a purpose in its happening and thus he's going to bring good out of it though I may not see it now. And because I've fixed my heart and committed to God, come what may, you don't fear for calamity that may fall tomorrow. You don't fear for what may come because you know that whatever comes is brought to you by the hand of God. The heart of the righteous is bold. In, in Hebrew poetry, which this psalm is, the beauty of a poem or a psalm is often in the contrast. It's not so much 
a, a rhyme or a rhyme scheme as it is showing one thing and then contrasting it with another thing. And so, Psalm 112 concludes by contrasting the wicked with the righteous. Verse 10, the wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. So in case there was still even a glint of doubt in your mind that God's design for our life is, is far superior to whatever we could come up with in our pride and selfishness, we get verse 10, the desire of the wicked will perish. And so we have the five marks of the righteous. The posture of the righteous is praise. The home of the righteous is blessed. The sight of the righteous is clear. The hand of the righteous is generous. And the heart of the righteous is bold. My prayer is that my life would be marked by this kind of righteousness. And today, I'm praying the same for you. Father God, would that be so of our lives? We admit and confess that in our own nature and by ourselves, we cannot have a life that looks like this. But because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of God and the filling of the Holy Spirit, it's possible to walk closer and closer toward Jesus and to, to reflect more and more of his image. So I pray uh, for myself, for all who are watching, for all who listen, that we would be marked by this kind of righteousness. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.